it's Mike Gaston. Great to have you along today. This is the Currency Podcast live stream on YouTube, and uh, it's great to be here. Great to see some of the familiar faces showing up on the stream. Big shout out to Pauline, to George, to my good friend Saba, who is now Unity ECS. Great to see everybody. Thanks for joining today. Uh, I want to talk a little bit today about this idea of narrative, the power of story, the power of narrative. And um, I think this is an important topic, especially today. It's always been an important topic. I think it can apply in so many different ways. And uh, but today I want to talk a little bit about narrative and spend a little bit of time there. So I hope um, if you're if you're on the live stream, thanks for joining me today. Hey, Kristen, welcome. Great to see you. Um, I I want to just let folks know. Some folks are watching this live. Some will catch it later on. If you're listening to this later on, maybe you've been a long time listener to the podcast. Uh, you can catch these as live streams now. I'm I'm initially doing these on YouTube, then I port them over to the. RSS feeds, so you can still pick them up on Apple uh, Podcasts. You can get them on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, Google Podcasts, etc. You can get them anywhere. But the cool thing is if you want to take part in the community, you want to be part of the discussion, uh, then you can jump on the live stream. Just subscribe to my channel. Just look for Mike Gaston on YouTube, and, um, and you can join in on the wacky madness and the fun. Now, today is episode number 50 of this podcast, which is really cool. I'm really happy to uh, really happy to be able to put out my 50th. I you know, did this podcast for a while, took a little bit of a break because I had to shift gears with my business and give it some attention. And uh, I had a listener, actually a YouTube subscriber, suggest, hey, these live streams are great. Why don't you turn them into your podcast? And I'm, I was like, I hit myself in the forehead like, yeah, why don't I do that? So here I am. I want to say a couple more shout outs. Uh, ES911, great to see you. Uh, Tesla Dude, that's right. Um, popped $1,000 a share. Yeah, Musk. Musk is, uh, he's doing it, isn't he? This is just a really strange time to be alive. I, it's like the best of times and the worst of times, as Dickens said in, uh, uh, was it The Tale of Two Cities? I don't remember. But um, yeah, some of you are commentating. You've noticed that the scene, my scene is different than the background. I, uh, I uh, changed my office around a little bit because I was just sick of having just a flat gray wall. I'm just going to fix my chair. I was, I was sick of just having a flat gray wall behind me, and so I kind of reorganized things a little bit. The challenge for us is I'm sitting in a house that was built in the early 1800s, and uh, so, so there's some acoustic issues here. There's some issues with the rooms, the way things are set up. It's a work in progress, but it is not an ideal recording or broadcasting studio. So we just do the best that we can. So guys, let's jump in today and talk a little bit about this concept of narrative, about story. Now, I don't know if you watch videos that I do, or maybe you've listened to some of my other podcast episodes. I talk about narrative from time to time. I talk about story. And um, in the work I do for clients as a branding strategist and as a consultant, I often get into narrative. And, And there's a thing about narrative that's kind of misunderstood or little understood. And it's kind of funny because um, it's such a powerful tool. I mean, narrative is such a powerful tool. And it's not surprising that people don't understand that aspect of it. What's surprising to me is that we're surrounded by it. We are surrounded by narrative and we don't give it a second thought. Uh, A lot of folks watching and listening to this, you probably play video games. And if you do, then you know that, you know, video games are really wrapped up around a narrative, around a story, usually playing through some kind of story. There's a backstory, 
there's a whole world that's created. I'm not a big video game player, but I know for a fact that the video game industry, which is multi-billions of dollars, bigger actually than Hollywood, if you can believe it, uh, in gross revenue, that industry, it's highly narrative-driven. And then we've got Hollywood. I just mentioned a moment ago. I mean, Hollywood is all about telling stories, all about narrative. Multi-multi-billion dollar industry. And, uh, and not just the money that, that Hollywood makes, but think of the influence that Hollywood has over culture, over people, over the way that we think about things, the way that we view the world. It's all narrative. They're, all that Hollywood is doing is telling stories. They're just telling stories. And that's what Hollywood's, Hollywood's been doing now for generations. Uh, you you want to look at things like social media. If you look at someone's Instagram page, they're creating a narrative about themselves. You know, they're, they're trying to present themselves in a certain light. They're using photography and settings and little video clips and stories to kind of present a, a narrative about who they are. It may or may not be true. I mean, it might not be a real narrative, but they're putting that out there. We've all heard about these influencers who look a certain way through the lens of Instagram, but then if you look at their personal lives, it's, it's a shipwreck and uh, quite troubling, actually. But that's not just true for Instagram. That's not just true for like, you go, well, Instagram's shallow. That's a bunch of shallow people on Instagram. It's true on LinkedIn. I mean, LinkedIn is another social media platform. It's focused mainly on business and professional uh, pursuits. But I got to tell you, LinkedIn is all about narrative as well. The people that are using LinkedIn well are the ones that are crafting and publishing good, good narratives about who they are, their expertise, their experiences, what they would be like to work with. That this is the world that we live in. So, so I said a little earlier, it's surprising how little we realize or understand the power of narrative, but we are surrounded. That's why I said surprising. We're surrounded by narrative. And it just doesn't end at, uh, you know, gaming, Hollywood and social media. You could say, well, I don't do any of those things. I don't watch movies. I'm not big into social media. And, you know, I'm not a gamer. So that doesn't really apply to me. But the fact of the matter is, it totally does. Uh, political... Uh, narratives are just overwhelming us these days and not just one side or the other. It's not like, well, one side's, you know, putting these narratives out there and the other side, you know, they're the good guys. Like each side has their narrative that they are putting out there and wanting people to believe and embrace. And, you know, if you look at things like um, the news media, and it doesn't have to be one of the big three. I love to pick on the mainstream media and they deserve it. They really do. Uh, but but it, it can be anybody. I mean, you, you get narrative overwhelming us through the media, through government, through political uh, discussions and dialogues, through major institutions like education, educational uh, institutions, uh, through religion. You get narrative through our entertainment and our arts and our culture and so on. I mean, narrative is just a powerful part of our lives and we don't realize it. Now, there's a reason that this is important. You can go, okay, great. I mean, everybody's out there promoting their ideas. Everybody's out there promoting their stories. What's the big deal? And there's a reason. Now, before I get to that reason, I just want to look at a couple of the comments here. Um, uh, so Pauline, I'm just going to add this here up on the screen. Pauline says a lonely girl was the OG of fake YouTube narrative. Gosh, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's true. I'd never got into the whole lonely girl thing, but I remember seeing that when it kind of hit like this whole lonely girl. And isn't she the one that kind of disappeared for a while and people are terrified of what's happened to her, but it was a whole fake made up. It was like a manufactured story. It wasn't even a real person's story. It was just this kind of acted out, seemingly real, some kid in their bedroom, uh, vlogging to the internet and became a huge sensation. 
Uh, Junaid, welcome. He says, what's the story, Morning Glory? Yeah, you got it. You know, I was almost going to put that as the title. I put what's the story as our title for today's podcast episode. I almost put Morning Glory on there as well. I didn't want, uh, who is it, o- Oasis? I'm not sure what band that was that had that uh, title of their song. Um, so, yeah, Pauline says, Leaf is better than nothing. My first electric will be Leaf because Teslas are too much for me. Okay, so there's a discussion going on because Tesla hit $1,000, a discussion going on uh, on the side here with um, uh, between Pauline and I think uh, Christian. So anyway, Pauline says it's Oasis. Yes, I believe you're right. I thought it was Oasis. I loved that band back in the 90s. We lived in Cape Town in the 90s, and I loved Oasis. I listened to a Wonderwall. That was like huge, huge song. Uh, yeah, Junaid says, hey, Mike Gaston, recording some podcast intros too. Awesome. So anyway, let me jump back in. So the, why is it so important? If narrative is all around us, and I'm saying you know, we don't realize how important this is. Well, why is it so important? You know, there there are all kinds of things that are all around us. We don't have to fear them. Are we supposed to fear narrative? Why is narrative so important to pay attention to? Here's why. There's something very interesting about human beings when it comes to narrative. And that is that we are biologically, you know, you can either say we're designed, you can say we've evolved this way, however you want to look at it. The fact is, that human beings are wired for story. We're, we're physiologically wired for story. There's something called neural coupling. And there was a study done back in the uh, early 2000s, I want to say. I forget the gentleman who did the study. I, I've, I've read some of the work and, and looked it up. But long and short of it is that when uh, they did studies where they would scan human brains and they would put them through these tests and they would have people tell stories. And as they were telling a story, they had a listener, someone that was listening to the story, and they would have their uh, mind, their brain rather wired too. And they were able to watch the areas of the brain that would light up with activity, with electrical activity, fire up uh, as a person's telling a story and as a person is listening to that same story. Now, here's the really fascinating thing that would happen. They called it neural coupling. What happens is when I give you a bunch of facts, when I give you facts, data points. Hey, 15% of Americans uh, are bald and have white beards, which is probably not a true fact. I mean, I know at least I am bald and have a white beard. But you know, if I throw some data point out there, you're never going to remember that. You're going to go away from this and go, yeah, I don't know. You said something about bald Americans. I don't remember. But if you tell a story around it, it's so much more memorable. And it has to do with this neural coupling. You see, when I tell you a fact, it's just a piece of data. But when I tell you a story, what happens is when I relate a story to you, I tell you, yeah, I was speeding down the road. I was going through the hills, uh, backcountry roads, beautiful day. It was so sunny, blue skies. I just had the tunes cranking. I was cranking Oasis. Wonderwall was on the, was on the radio. And I was, I was going like 85 miles an hour in a 45 mile an hour zone. And then out of nowhere, like, I don't know where this cop was, but he came out of nowhere and he pulled me over. And I was like, oh, shoot. And I, I was sick to my stomach because I had no money. I, 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 this was a borrowed car. I didn't even know where the registration was. I'm thinking, this guy looks angry. I'm watching him kind of walk up behind me. As I'm going through this story, I'm first of all feeling that elation, that sunshine. I'm, I'm kind of remembering it. And my mind as the teller is reliving that story as if it really happened. It's like I'm going through it again. My emotions are starting to engage. I'm remembering the thoughts, the smells, the feeling, the warmth of the sun. Then as soon as I see that cop, as I'm telling you that story, my stomach's tightening up a little bit. All the stuff 
is going on in my physiology as the teller because I experienced this thing. Here's the fascinating thing about neural coupling. The listener, we have found their brain starts to synchronize with the teller's brain. When you tell a story, the listeners to your story, will their brains will start to sync up with yours. And if, if one part of your brain is firing as you're remembering that beautiful blue sky and the warm sunshine and the tunes cranking in the car, what will happen is the listener will have a sympathetic reaction. The same part of their brain will fire up. So what happens is we create this level of sympathy between a storyteller and a story listener, someone receiving the story. And some, for some reason, we're physiologically wired that we start to get in sympathy with each other as this story is being told. We experience the story along with the teller. We don't just hear it as facts. We experience it on a level that nothing else does for human beings. This is why you watch a movie and you get really wound up in the movie. Have you ever caught yourself in the middle of a movie and you're like, you could hardly breathe, you know, you're, you're tense and, and, you know, some of that's the music, some of that's the staging and the lighting. There's ways that, you know, storytellers can manipulate us, but it's that sympathy. You're starting, you're forgetting that you're watching a movie. You're forgetting that you're looking at a glowing screen. You're forgetting that these are actors, that this is fake, that this never happened. And even if it's a true story that you're watching, it's not, it's not a documentary. You're not watching. You're watching people reenact it. Why do we jump when, when the boogeyman jumps out of the closet with a knife? You know, why, why, why do we like get so elated and happy when the bad guy uh, finally gets defeated? You know, why, why are we angry when, you know, this one character kind of does something behind the protagonist's back? Why do we feel incensed and outraged at these things when there's an injustice? These are all just fake. These are actors and movie sets. These are video games. These are television shows. But somehow we get sucked in. It's that neural coupling. There's this sympathy excuse me, that happens between the, 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 the teller of the story and the listener. And we can't help ourselves. We can't, like, you sit there. I've done this before. I get choked up. I'm watching a movie with my wife, and I get a little, like, knot in my throat over some poignant moment. We kind of joke about it a little bit. But, but I get choked up. I'm this big guy or whatever, but I get choked up at some moment. I, I'm sitting there looking at her going, it's just a stupid movie. I can, hear, I can hardly squeak the words out. I know it's a movie, but at the same time, I'm all choked up. I'm emotional. Why is that? I can't help it because I'm physiologically wired this way, and everybody is. So when you think about the power of, when you think about the power of narrative, and you think about what that means when you, when, when you realize how much it affects us. I mean, think for yourself, you know, have you watched a movie? Have you read a book where you couldn't put the book down? It's because it's a great story. What is it that makes it? It's entertaining, yes. But it's not just that it's entertaining. It's that you're in synchronicity. That's not the right word, probably. But you're synchronized with this story. And you're, and you're feeling it as you're reading it, you're, as you're observing it, as you're hearing it. This is why we love these uh, you know, podcasts that um, tell a story. That, that one, that NPR one, oh, uh, if I could only remember it, it was about the, the kid that uh, was accused of murder and they went through the whole case. Ah, I can't remember. It's huge. Anyway, story's big. So if you think about that grip that story has on us, and then you back up a little bit to what I was talking about just a few moments before, which was that we are surrounded by narratives. You start to realize the import of what's going on potentially to you and around you. 
uh, you start to realize that I might be being manipulated and influenced by all these people telling their stories. Now you say, well, yeah, like not everything's a narrative. Like the political guys, that's not a narrative or the news, that's not narrative. Yes, when I watch a Hollywood movie, that's a narrative. That's a story. But that's not necessarily true. These, these narratives can be subtle. These narratives can draw us in and we don't even realize that we're part of a story. So let me give you an example. With the recent uh, COVID crisis, you know, it's, it's, there's been a lot of narratives that have hit, hit, hit the ground. We've heard a lot of narratives, but do you remember one? I'll, I'll bring one up. And this was, it feels like it was a year ago. It was only a handful of weeks ago, but this is the power of these things. One of the narratives, at least in the U.S., we were, we were told, and a lot of us, I think most of us embraced initially, was that we have to flatten the curve. The initial narrative, not the, but one of the initial narratives around this whole COVID and the reaction was that we have to flatten the curve. The story was, look, this thing is, it's a virus. It's going to make its way through the world. We can't stop it. But what we have to do, because it's so aggressive and it hits so many people, is we have to flatten the curve. And we have to say, look, we can't have everybody getting sick at once. It wasn't that we we're going to avoid everybody getting sick. There was, that was never part of the deal at the beginning. The story, the narrative was, we've got to slow this thing down so that only a handful of people are sick at any given time, so that our healthcare systems aren't overwhelmed. We don't want people dying on the streets. We don't want people stacked up in the hallways of the hospitals without the ability to get a bed and they can't breathe and they're just dying everywhere. There was a narrative that was created and, and we embraced it. Now, it's not necessarily wrong. It wasn't, I don't know. I'm not saying that that was a fake narrative or a false narrative. I'm just saying that was a narrative. And we looked at that. We thought that makes sense. There was sympathy between the tellers of that narrative and the people listening. They got us. They said, yep. And we said, yep, and let's do it. So we banded together. We said, let's shut some stuff down. Let's shut down as much as we can. Unessential business, which I've had a real issue with that concept. Uh, we, put, we put tens of millions of Americans. This is just America. I'm talking about people all over the world. But tens of millions of Americans out of work. We've destroyed businesses. We've destroyed our GDP. We've de I mean, we've just devastated the country. And don't think that some of these riots, et cetera, aren't an out pouring of some of the frustration that came out of that. This isn't just like straight out, uh, you know, cop, you know, brutality. This, the, the, these narratives are feeding each other. But anyway, I'm getting off track. We all did this based on the narrative. What you notice if you look kind of through the media history is that narrative changed, but they never came out and said, hey, wait a minute. They just changed the narrative. The politicians, the healthcare experts, it went from being, we've got to flatten the curve. And this, this podcast isn't about criticizing today's episode. It's not about criticizing the handling of Corona. I'm just using this. It's such a recent, fresh example. I want to just use this to show you the power of this narrative and how they change things so that you're aware. So we've got to flatten the curve. Everyone said, okay, great. We get it. Let's flatten the curve. Then it looked like the curve was flattening. And then when we we're all like, hey, looks like it's flattening. Can we start opening up? The narrative shifted to, I don't think we can open until we've got vaccines. We, and the narrative shifted to, we're going to beat this thing. It went from, we've got to flatten the curve to this is a war and we're fighting an enemy and we've got to beat this enemy. And so it's going to take everything we've got to beat this enemy. We're at war. We're going to defeat it. We're going to win. That's a different narrative. You go from flattening, accepting the virility of this sickness and its 
ability to go across the population and our inability to stop it from doing that. So we said, okay, let's slow it down. That was one narrative. And we all knew that we were going to get exposed and we were all hoping that we were going to be safe. It was a little scary. I think all of us were thinking like, am I going to make it? You know, if I get this, hey, I'm a gray beard. If I get this, am I going to make it? Um, To now, the narratives have blown up. It went from that to being a war. Now it's that we have to get vaccines for everybody. And then the other narrative is like, this is a bunch of BS. This thing was never even a thing. Like, oh, this isn't real. Let's hit the beaches and party it up. And um, and uh, so it's been it, if you look at just this one example, that's an example of narrative and how it is so powerful. And wh- what you'll find, and I'm sure if you think about some of the interactions you've had with folks, if you're talking to people and you, you just bring up COVID, each one of them will present to you one of the narratives that they've kind of latched onto. There's some people still talking about flattening the curve. And they're acting today. You know, we're like two, three months into this thing. And they're like, hey, I thought we were flattening the curve. Like, they're just figuring out that that's not happening, right? So, so there's some people that have embraced one narrative. You, you'll find other people are like still going around wearing a mask and terrified to be near anybody in public because they're waiting for a vaccine. So people are embracing different narratives. And, um, you know, this is the power. That's just one example. So if you talk to people today, you'll notice that they're not all embracing the same narrative. And what happened to the old story? What happened to the flattening the curve? It just kind of disappeared. No one seemed to really address it, and we just moved on. Let me look at a few comments here, and we'll just keep going. But um, we've got... Ara's in the house. Welcome, Ara. Uh, Let's see. So Christian Frederico says, yeah, true, but most good storytellers are naturals. But yeah, anything can be learned. So Christian was saying earlier, I think in the comments, uh, Christian was saying that he wanted to learn to be a good storyteller. I think you can learn that. I think that storytelling, I I think, look, I think people are gifted as storytellers. There's some people that are gifted. And and I'm, I'm, uh, I have a little bit of Irish heritage, not a lot, but a little bit of Irish heritage. And the Irish, just as a group of people, take pride in the fact that they know how to spin a tale. I mean, there are some just nationalities that are proud of their storytelling capabilities. And the Irish would be one of them, uh, great storytellers. But I would like to argue that storytelling and creating narrative is a craft and that it can be learned and it's a skill. It's not so much a gift. It helps to be a gifted writer. It helps to be a gifted speaker all those things, but gifts only take you so far. It's really about the hard work. If, if you're interested at all, uh, and this is for anybody, in, in narrative, in the power of narrative, I would highly recommend reading Joseph Campbell's book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces. Now, it is a bit of an academic book. It's a bit dense. He, he and, and Campbell's a Gnostic. I am not a Gnostic, so I don't agree with his his worldview for the most part, um, the, the spiritual worldview that he has. But boy, does he nail it on the head when it comes to narrative and the power of narrative. And he gets at kind of the root of mankind's storytelling and mankind's penchant for tor- telling stories. And he finds these commonalities across so many cultures. And what he ends up doing is he breaks down the, the key pieces, the core pieces, the core characters, the core drivers of, of narratives that have been with mankind for centuries for millennia. So if you're interested at all in becoming a great storyteller, it's a little bit of work. I'm not going to lie. Campbell's book is a little bit of work, but if you enjoy digging in and and going kind of deep with something, I can, I couldn't recommend uh, the hero with a thousand faces more. So that's that. 
Um, let's see. Ara says, it's a philosophical human parallel, totally known by the movie makers. It absolutely is. They've figured out the power of narrative. And uh, they, 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 I mean, The Lion King, some of these, you just look at some of these stories and they've got the classic, uh, you know, human story that Campbell has uncovered as its structure. And it's, it's quite powerful. Uh, Unity ECS says, you're pointing to the core issues. Thank you, man. Um, George is saying they, they told us the same story about COVID here in Europe. Yeah, that's right. I mean, this was definitely a conversation all across the world. And, and Pauline says, yeah, she thinks it was a story that was told by the, by the WHO, the World Health Organization. Caleb Olson, welcome to the podcast, Caleb. Framing was a huge part of my marketing classes. Even your prices tell a story about your company. Now, see, Caleb, you get a prize here, buddy. I mean, there's no prize, but you get a prize because... This is an important thing. People hear narrative and they think explicit narrative, meaning someone told a story. There was a protagonist. There was an antagonist. There was a problem. The protagonist, you know, accepted the call to adventure. The protagonist overcame uh, and, and in the end won, you know, won this boon for society. Like there's this three-part, excuse me, a three-part play that takes place. Often narrative can be subtle. It doesn't have to be as explicit as someone telling you a story. So to Caleb's point, even your pricing, the way that you price your products kind of tells a story about that. Let me give you an example. And this shows up in one of my older videos I did on pricing strategy. Let's say you've got, uh, like, I'll give you an example for me. So I've got, we, we sit on a, pr a, a property. I, I like to refer to it as Gaston Manor. It's about five acres. And about just over half of that acreage is lawn that needs to be mowed. And I've got a pretty good-sized 52-inch, I, I don't know what that is in, in metric, so I apologize. I only know what it is in uh, Bald Eagle. And 52-inch um, mower, it's got a zero turn, so you can do these quick radius turns, and it's just great. I just finished actually mowed the lawn. But about two weeks ago, one of the belts snapped on that mower, and it took me weeks to get that stupid belt fixed. I am not mechanical. I have office worker hands here. And um, <laughs> it just took a while. And it's not necessarily a fault of my own. The, the thing's engineered in a way that you'd have to be, you have to have the tiny little fingers of a child to get in there and do half the things I had to do to get this thing fixed. But I want to talk about lawnmowers. Let's say you need to go to the, the store and get a new lawnmower. Your lawnmower breaks down and you just want to push more. You don't need uh, you know, a $5,000 mower. So you show up at, at your hardware store, hard, you know, whether it's Home Depot, Lowe's, wherever you shop, uh, Canada Tire. You go to get a mower. Now you got two lawnmowers. They look the same. One of them's priced at $200 and one of them's priced at $50. But they look exactly the same. Ex they look the same. When the one, if you see that one for $50, you can't help but look at it and think something's got to be wrong with this mower. Why is it priced so low? Now, you didn't go in knowing what mowers were going to even cost. It's not like you have an opinion on what they should cost. And the mowers seem the same. They've got the same specifications, the same abilities, et cetera. And the fact of the matter is the $50 mower could be better built. There could be some reason that they priced it. Maybe the $200 mower is actually gouging you. But the, but, the, but the story here is that that $50 is telling you a story. Now, they didn't mean to tell you, but they're, what they're saying to you is it's inexpensive. It's cheap. Uh, they must have cut corners somewhere. And it may not be the case, but the narrative that that pricing creates in your mind is actually quite powerful. And what you'll find is most people will buy the $200 mower. 
Often you'll see pricing strategies online, uh, and this is about the narrative, but you'll see these subscription services where it's 10 bucks a month for uh, professional, and then it's uh, 50 bucks a month for ultra pro, and it's $100 a month for enterprise. And, and usually people pick the middle, like they don't usually pick the cheapest one. They usually go for the middle option. That, that really high price is there just to kind of make you feel better about the one you're going to pick. But these prices tell us a story. And so to, you know, um, uh, Mr. Olson, what's your first name? I got to find you again in the Caleb's point. Um, there's so many things that tell a story. You go to your website, it, it, the photographs, the headlines, the colors, the fonts, if you have video, it all lends itself to telling a story about your business. So yeah, so narrative is really, really powerful. By the way, Proed Jansen said, sorry, just came in, uh, came home from dinner with friends. Proed, no apologies, my friend. If you can get out for dinner with friends, that's much more important than looking at me on a live stream. Oh, I got to put this one up. This is my little brother. Brian says, what's up, bro, bro? Hey, buddy, it's good to see you. Thanks for joining the stream. And uh, so George says, Mike 2020, that's the solution. <laughs> I'm flattered. I, I've said before in other podcasts, I'd, I'd be a wonderful dictator. Uh, I'd make the world a better place. It would only take me about 10, 20 years, but it would be, it'd be beautiful. It'd be a beautiful thing. Uh, we'd, out, we'd have to outlaw protest and dissident because, of course, my, my leadership would be glorious and, and any type of protest or complaint would be a, a crime against the universe. All right, so Pauline Weinberger says, in Canada, Trudeau just wants to rule like a dictator. So he says that Parliament can't reopen yet because it's too dangerous. Yeah, I mean, that's the other thing. Like, let's talk about the dangerous story. I mean, that's, that's a narrative. That's a story that, oh, it's too dangerous. Is it too dangerous? It may be, it may not be. These are narratives. Uh, and, and we use these narratives in so many ways. I think what's important for us is to realize that we're being told stories all the time and to realize that, we're wired to be sympathetic to stories. It's dangerous. Now, what can you do? You're going to put yourself in a lead box so that, you know, the, the uh, secret government mind control waves can't get to you. I mean, you can't live this world without encountering narrative. And narrative is not bad. Being influenced by a story is not bad. That can be entertaining. It would be a powerful way to learn things. It can be a way that you grow as a human being. And, so, and it can be a way that you're able to communicate your ideas to other people. Story is not necessarily bad. What concerns me is that people just don't seem to realize that they're influenced by these narratives. One narrative right now that is so frustrating to me, and tell me if you've heard this one, but, but there's this narrative out there that... Um, you know, the new normal, like that's the new, that's the narrative, the new normal, the new normal and things are, that, that's a story that now that we've gone through this thing, normal's never going to be what it was like before. Now that might be a true statement. That might be true. I'm not here to argue that, oh, trust me, everything's going to go back to the way it was before. I, I get that. But I feel like this is being used as a narrative tool, as a way to kind of get sympathy and with folks so that we're more willing to accept these new things. It's like, if you start to embrace the concept that a new normal is inevitable, there's just nothing you can do about it. Well, then who's defining what that new normal is? Who gets to say what that new normal is? Who gets to tell us 
what our lives will look like and won't look like in the future. So, you know, some things that we kind of like about the new normal, hey, I'm going to get to work from home more often. That's a cool new normal. Most people can get on with that. It's like, yeah, I like that. But then you've got people saying, well, you're going to have to give up more of your privacy. You're going to have to give up, you know, your constitutional rights in America or Europe or Canada because, hey, you know, a lot of people almost died from this virus and this is just the new normal. So, so these narratives are used in very subtle ways, very powerful ways. So I just would encourage you resist them. Don't reject every narrative you hear or see, but understand that it's a narrative. Understand that you're being uh, told a story and think about that, like step back a little bit and think about that and say, okay, if I'm being told a story right now, what is the story all about? What's the moral of the story? How does the story end? Uh, what's in it for me? Will the story cost me something? Is this a cost I'm willing to pay? You know, and, and what effect is this story having on my thinking and on my feelings? I think those are the, that's one of the most important things to consider. What is this story? What kind of effect is this story having on my thinking and on my feelings? Because this is the thing and why narrative, I think, is so popular when you can get people fearful, when you can get them angry, when you can get people unsettled, when you can get them disturbed, you can, you can get them to do things that they typically wouldn't do. You know, look, as a father, now my children are all adults right now, but if my children were younger, I, I like to think of myself as an honest, truthful, law-abiding person. I'm not perfect. I, I've told lies. Uh, you know, I've done some things in life that I'm not proud of. Nothing that I'm like, horribly horrible, but I've done some things that I'm ashamed of. I, I'm a human being. I've made mistakes. I know, I know, internet, don't fall apart. It's a shocker. Um, but, but if I, if I think about, like, if you, if you were to come to me and when, like, if my children were starving, I'd be willing to steal if I had to, to feed them. Like, I'd be willing to do things that I wouldn't typically do if I were under duress, that's not to say that I'm willing to do anything. I have no morals. I, wouldn't, I just wouldn't let my kids starve. If I had to, if I had to risk me getting in trouble, I'd, I'd steal a little bit of bread if that's what I had to do to feed my kids. Now, fortunately, I haven't had to do that, but some people have. So, so think about the emotional duress that people get under during, um, a, under a powerful narrative. You get people wound up. You get them fearful about uh, you know, Muslims, or you get them fearful about Christians, or you get them fearful about sick people, or you get them fearful about Chinese people, or you get them fearful about American people, you get them fearful about the Democrats or fearful about the Republicans. When you get people wound up about skin colors and religions and belief systems, etc., when you get them scared and angry, you're able to get them to do things that they wouldn't normally do. You know, we, we, we like to tell ourselves that like, oh, the Germans, the Nazis, the Germans, they were so bad. We, you know, they were like, like somehow the Germans are different than us. What happened in Nazi Germany somehow could never happen somewhere else. Why not? What, what is so different about any other race? Are the Germans uh, uniquely flawed as a human race, as a race, uh, as, a, as a nationality, as a genetic group? I don't think so. I think they're similar to the rest of us. I don't care if you're black, white, yellow, brown, doesn't matter. I think we all have this capability of doing things that, that we wouldn't normally do when we're excited, when we're angry, when we're fearful, when we're under a lot of duress. And these narratives, because they pull on our emotions, because they affect our emotions so much, because they create this sympathy, 
between us and the, and the person that's telling the story, they get us wound up. They get us physiologically uh, reacting. You can get goosebumps. You can get knots in your stomach. You can get elation. You can cry. You can laugh. All these things happen when we engage a story. And these can be very powerful. So sure, in an explicit story like a movie or some political rhetoric, um, look at what happened to Rwanda. That political rhetoric led to genocide and bloodshed. So am I gloom and doom? No, I'm not saying that. What I'm trying to do is say, hey, you've got to be aware of this. Now, in marketing, we use narrative all the time. But I try to use it in a way that's moral and ethical and, and respectful. And, and my, my kind of underlying, undergirding principle as a marketer when it comes to things like narrative, because you know, in marketing, it's too easy to just manipulate people to get them to do what you want. It's like your job to do that. My underlying kind of principle is that each individual is an end unto themselves. What I mean by that is you are not an end to my means. If I'm trying to accomplish something, you're not there as a means to my end. I think I said that backwards a second ago. You're not some tool that gets me what I want. You're not some resource that I'm able to consume to get what I want at the end of the day. I don't, I, you're not there so that I can just you know, use you to make money, to sell my product, et cetera. I've got to recognize, and as a Christian, I do this because I say, look, I understand every human being is made in God's image. So for me, in my theological view of the world, yours may be quite different if you have theological view of the world, but mine is that if you bear God's image, that makes you sacred. So every human being doesn't need a justification. They don't need uh, a reason to be respected. I'm not talking about day-to-day. -day. If somebody's rude to me, I've got no problem saying I don't respect that person. That doesn't mean that I'm going to punch their teeth in. But, but they bear God's image. They're not mine to, to manipulate. They're not there for me to use. It's not like a hammer where I go, I've got a pound of nail, let me grab a hammer. I'm not manipulating, disrespecting, denigrating the image of God when I grab a hammer to drive a nail. The hammer has no mind. It has no say in the matter. Maybe the hammer doesn't want to be used tough. I'm using it because it's just a tool. But, but for people... For human beings, as a marketer, I approach it as saying, look, every person is, is an end unto themselves because they bear God's image. And so it's not right. It's immoral for me to do something that's manipulative. So what I do, I sometimes turn work away because some projects are like, look, uh, this doesn't line up for me uh, morally and ethically. And, and in other instances where it's fine, it's like I'm just trying to help connect good people to good products. I, I tell the story. I tell the truth. I tell it in a way that's evocative and interesting, engaging. You tell it in a way that's transparent and people go, wow, I love this product. You know, the hammer, Pauline says, hammer just left the chat. That's great. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Good one, Pauline. Um, hammer has left the chat. Sorry, hammer. You don't get a say in this. Uh, we got nails to drive here. So... Anyway, that's, that's my take on it. Hopefully that's useful to you guys. I, you know, this is talking a little bit about, it's more like a, a warning. You have to be careful. There's so much to narrative and I love narrative. I got to tell you, like I do brand story and, um, and, and, and a lot of branding work that includes narrative. It's powerful. You know, I, again, I can't recommend enough. Joseph Campbell's uh, The Hero of a Thousand Faces, just a fantastic piece of work. And there's a bunch of other, um, you know, books around that that kind of take Campbell's work and apply it a little more. I don't even know if you need to go to the other books. I think Campbell's good enough. Let's look at some of the comments here. We've got some stuff going on about Brave New World. I won't jump that. Um, I think there was some uh, 
So Dale says, Dale Spoonley says, hey, Mike, hello from Ireland. Hey, awesome. Do you think the news channels are biased in how they create the favored narrative, thus influence different people in different ways? Oh, uh, Dale, no question for me. I think that they are biased. Yes, I totally think they're biased. I, I And now, I don't think that every news channel is biased in the same way. But, you know, if we want to get into this, and I'm going to... I think there's been a shift. There, there was a time when journalism was about reporting the facts. And I think there was a bit of a kind of a code of honor where the journalist is like, look, it's not my job to influence the reader and what they think. I'm supposed to be objective. Now, there have been periods of time like the muckrakers uh, back in, in American history, you know, where they told these sensational stories and, and um, they were manipulative back in the day. Uh, maybe it's probably like the early 1900s, I want to say. I don't, I don't remember exactly. But I think for the most part, there was like a professional agreement amongst journalists that you're supposed to dig down and expose the truth. You're supposed to expose the truth. Just to share the facts. You're not supposed to craft a narrative, but you're supposed to expose the truth. And what's happened is, and I don't know when it happened because I'm not an expert on this. Uh, I'm sure there's like an intellectual historian that could give us the background on this. But what happened is that at some point, journalism became about um, achieving a certain end. It's not so much about exposing the truth, but it's about helping create a certain kind of world. Now, progressivism is really big on, on, on progressing towards this type of utopia, that the world's not good enough the way it is, and that mankind can make it better. And there are various degrees and levels of this, but progressivism is all about creating a certain kind of world. It's not about democracy. It's not about liberty. It's not about the freedom to do what you think you want to do. It's about creating a certain kind of society, a global society. And I feel like a lot of the educational institutions, a lot of the J schools, the journalism schools, universities have have embraced uh, progressivism. A lot of the staff, faculty are progressives. And avowedly so. This isn't a hidden thing. And so to your question, I think that a lot of these students are coming through and being educated and, and propagandized, in my opinion, to, to use journalism as a tool for progressivism. Now, you can get other news channels and stations and systems, broadcast entities that are all about conservatism or right-wing politics, and they'll try to use it for their end. So Something happened. I don't, I'm not a professional in this area. I don't know what happened when, but there's been a shift in my lifetime where journalism and broadcast media is being used towards an end as opposed to just saying it's our job to expose the truth. Now, in a democracy, the concept is like a good democracy only works if your population is educated. You have to have a well-informed population for democracy to work. Otherwise, they're at risk of being manipulated by people who are really good at telling strong narratives, spinning strong stories, a lot of charisma. Now, some people go, oh my gosh, that's Donald Trump. I think you could say the same about the left. Put it, I think the left and the right are both battling for power. So a good democracy relies on a highly informed, well-educated population. And that's where the journalism uh, piece of it comes in because the media, newspapers, journalists, et cetera, their job was to make sure that people were informed. But what they've been doing on both sides, I think the progressives do this more because they control more of the media than the conservatives do. But what the progressives have been doing uh, is using it to, to, to win their fight. I mean, 
from the day that Donald Trump won office, you can think what you want of the guy. You can hate him, whatever. But like from the day he won office, I don't think there was any kind of uh, unbiased coverage of him in the, in the media for the most part. And what I mean by that isn't to say everything's a lie and it's fake news. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you look at the way the headlines were even written. It, there's, there's, it's very rare to just see kind of a, a, a piece that's not taking a side. It, the language in the headlines, the language in the story is letting you know the, the journalist or the author's position on Donald Trump just in general as a person and as a president. So it's, it's next to impossible to, to just get media that's unbiased. I, I just want to hear what really happened. I don't need to hear all the, the pejoratives and the, and the descriptive adverbs and adjectives that kind of slant the story one way or the other. I don't need to know that, you, you know, all these things that kind of qualify and, and, and color the picture. Just tell me what happened. Was the vote up or down? But you just don't, you don't get that information anymore. So that's my long answer to your short question. But yes, um, yeah. Hey, what is up, my friend? It's been a while from my friend Abdesamad. Abdesamad. I don't know if I'm saying your name right. I try each time. It's great to see you. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. It's going really well. Thanks. Uh, I want to see what Unity says here. He says, um, oh, I, I just clicked on George. Mike 2020, I will steal your vote only if I have to. That's right. I'll only do what's necessary for the greatness of my government. Um, and Unity says, I think we could we can all do as individuals is to save our souls from the devil of narratives. Yeah, look, I mean, narratives are a good thing too. I don't want to, there's a reason I think that they're wired, that we're wired for story. And I think a good story with, um, with good intentions, good morals, good ethics, they're powerful. I mean, this is the reason that through the centuries before mankind even had writing, that narratives were so important. That's why we look to bards and storytellers uh, to help us remember our history, to remember our culture, to remember those that went before us and the great deeds that they committed to help uh, to help establish. You know, I think of the Greeks like Homer's uh, Iliad and the Odyssey. These were originally, vo you know, verbal stories that were handed down uh, generation to generation. So, you know, story is a good thing. It's a great way to communicate information. But unfortunately, people use them to uh, manipulate and to control. And that, that's the thing. My big thing, and, I, and it's a theme I just keep coming back to on these live streams and, and these podcasts on this channel is I want people to be able to live their life on their own terms. I want you to be able to live your life on your own terms. And that means that, that I want to help you shed some of these things that hang on you and I that try to manipulate us, that try to color our view, that try to make us um, do and think and say in ways that we wouldn't necessarily do on our own. So, so that's, uh, that's it. So, uh, Abdesamad says, all right, you just pronounced right for the first time. Ha ha ha. So I've got to practice this. Abdesamad. I don't know if I'm st still, I, I'm not confident with these name pronunciations. I apologize guys, but, uh, but I am grateful you're here. So thank you. So, yeah, so that's my take on narrative today. I, you know, spend a little bit of time, look around, and you'll see uh, they're just, it's just a really powerful thing. And, you know, be careful. 
think about it, but also be thinking about how you can be using narrative for yourself. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to wrap up the podcast, but I'm going to keep the live stream going for a little while here to answer some questions. So what I'm going to do is just wrap up the podcast real quick by saying, guys, thank you so much for listening today. I'm grateful that you're part of this audience. Uh, if you want to, please subscribe. You can find this podcast on YouTube. As I said at the beginning, you can also find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere that fine podcasts are provided. Please know that I love you guys, and I'll catch you in the next episode. Thank you.